0: Hey, if you were here with us last week, you heard that uh, we had a little bit of a big announcement. A little bit of a big announcement today that I want to talk to you about for just a few minutes before we we dive into uh, the word. Some of you that have been around uh, for a little while will remember last year we started a campaign that we called For the Story. And For the Story was really two phases of what we really is a a part of a much larger three-phase vision to expand the ministry Of Fathom Church. And phase one, uh, we were able to complete last fall. uh, And that's that beautiful renovated space, lobby, and uh, bathrooms. And when she walked in, that used to look very different if you're new here. And so it's because of your faithfulness in giving and overall just God's faithfulness uh, and being kind to us that that we were able to accomplish that this past fall, uh, debt-free in cash. And so we are so thankful for that. The total cost ended up being uh, just under 60 grand. Uh, That's because of a lot of donated labor and materials and incredible uh, local businesses who just jumped in and who laid the tile for free and who did the HVAC at half the cost and lots of different people jumping on board. So we are so thankful for what God did in that season. But that was just the start of something uh, much larger and much bigger. Many of you will remember that we pitched this as really a two-phase Process and the second phase was going to be a build out of a, of roughly a 1,500 square feet on uh, right behind our building here. Right behind our sanctuary, there's a pad already poured, a pastor poured it 30 years ago Uh, that was uh, a church meeting here at that time, and uh, with intentions to expand the sanctuary, but we've really felt uh, in this season previously that that we uh, thought the best use of this space would be, uh, if you'll remember, it was multi-purpose space, it was uh, for students, uh, for our DNA sessions, uh, for mid sized anchor groups, for all kinds of different things. There's going to be a little studio, some offices, much-needed storage on campus, And so uh, we had prayed about that. And uh, last, as we were kind of starting this year, we we wanted to kind of get through phase one and really pray, God, when would you have us? When would you have us begin phase two? And so I began praying that question. And if you were here with us last week, I, I talked about how oftentimes when we come and we ask God a question, he will redirect us with another question that we weren't thinking about, he, he will respond to us with a question. And my question was, God, at the beginning of this year while we were fasting, God, when do you want us to do this? And, and God really refocused me with another question, is, is what is the purpose of this building? And, and what is, is the, the most efficient use of this for this season? In our church. And so the big announcement is that we're switching the usage of this building, and we want you uh, on board with the, the, the plan to, to switch this. And the, the new space will be used, come uh, 100% dedicated to our next generation, which is our students and our kids' ministry. And so we are thrilled beyond thrilled. We were pumped about this before, and now we are even more pumped about it because, yeah, this is a, a huge, huge deal. And so it's going to be 100% dedicated. Uh, we'll talk more layout. We'll talk all that stuff and usage. But both of those buildings will not go away. They'll be re-designated. Uh, and this building is being redesignated to 100% for the next generation to our kids and our students. So we are pumped to announce that. And there's no greater investment we can make into the lives of the next generation. And I've been saying this phrase on a regular basis as we've just prayed and meditated and had conversations among our board of directors and our staff. And there's a 100% buy-in on this idea, 100%, 100% behind it. In fact, several of them in talking about this, said, hey, what I gave last time, I'll double that because I'm even more excited about this than I was bathrooms and lobbies. So uh, I love that uh, because I, I think it, this, it matters. And, and uh, we're really excited about what God's gonna do through this space. So we'll tell you a lot more about the space um, and, and what, what our plans are for that. Uh, but it's basically going to have three classrooms. Uh, our, our kids' building, current kids' building, will be redesignated. We'll do DNA sessions over there. We'll use that as office space, some studio space, some workspace. And, uh, and our current nursery will become a climate-controlled storage. And so we're going to gut that, and it'll just be a place in which we put some, some much-needed storage space, put a ramp on it. And uh, we're just thrilled about that. I hope you can get on board. So anyone that's been volunteering, all of our kids and students who have been meeting in a different place, that's going to be your building. That's going to be a a next-gen building that's for all of you. And so I'm just so thankful um, for uh, the leadership of of, uh, Jessica Miles and David Napier leading our next-gen, our students and our kids. They're doing a fantastic job. And I think, I don't know if it was last weekend or the weekend before, but they had 15 pre-K, like three and four, like five-year-olds in like a tiny little classroom. And so we, we desperately need this space. They have far outgrown that space. If you go in there and start walking in there with 20 kids, and usually it's like 30, and, and like here in the spring, it's going to be a lot more. So we need this really bad. And so I'm really thrilled about this opportunity. So kind of the details behind it is we're hoping to start this as soon as possible. We actually have plans drawn up already that are submitted to the city but not completed in the city. We're obviously having to make some edits on our classification and usage of it. And so it'll look a little something uh, like this on the front. So it's really gonna change the elevation and look from the road. And so uh, we've seen God's faithfulness uh, through this past season. and So we are thrilled about uh, what this is gonna mean. So what's it gonna take? Again, we're hoping to accomplish this and have this finished by early fall. Um, but really, what's it going to cost, right? That's what everybody wants to know. Let's get to the bottom line, Pastor. We know you're going there. What's the bottom line? Hey, it's going to cost about $130,000. We estimated the whole project would cost uh, about $200,000, and so we were able to do this for 60k, and uh, and this one uh, uh, 130. But we've already raised a lot of what needs to happen there, and so we've already raised about 45 grand in donated labor and materials. Uh, and about eight grand still left over in, in cash. So we've got about 77 left to raise. So that's not that much more than what we did before. And so as we enter the season, over the next few weeks, here's what I, I wanna ask you to do, is just to pray. Would you, just, would you commit to pray? Like I'm not asking you, commit to pray and ask like one, for God to provide it because he is the provider. Like we rely on him. Uh, we say that we are going to move at the pace of your giving and your faith in giving. Uh, that that that's the pace we're gonna move at. So if this doesn't happen this year, because we're just not there and faith-wise, like we would just we just won't go there but I want to go there, and there's a need, and I believe that together um, with the Lord's help, this, this can be accomplished, so we are, are thrilled about this. We're going to be giving you instructions on how you can make a commitment for this season and pray about that over the next couple of weeks, and on the 24th, we're going to have a commitment Sunday, so we have a big announcement today, and uh, you have a couple of weeks to really think and pray over this and what God would lead you to be a part of this, and here's my, my, my request is that everybody will be a part of it in some way. If it's $10 is what you can afford and what your faith level is right now over six months, between when we, right now and when we do that, if it's $10 a month and $60 is your all in, I'm bought into this vision and I want to see an impact in the next generation, then praise God, do that. But, but maybe that number's much higher for you. I'm not telling you what it should be. What I do is I want all of us to be a part of this because it, it matters. It, it matters. It's moving the kingdom forward and raising up the next generation. I've been saying this phrase over and over again. We invest in the next generation because they will lead us sooner than we think. They will lead us sooner than we think. Uh, and so I, I just ask you to pray over, over the next few weeks and just get excited about it. I know we've got a lot of questions maybe that come with that, uh, but just partner with us in prayer and then, uh, and then pray about how, how God would lead you to, to give in this time. So are you guys excited about that? Good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. There's a ton of folks behind the scenes that have been talking about this and praying about this, and we're, we're excited about what God's going to do through this. So. Awesome. Awesome. Let's transition. Let's dive in uh, to uh, the word. I think in 2019, it's really frustrating to be a doctor. Like, I I just think it's frustrating to be a doctor because everybody that walks in your office already has themselves diagnosed, right? I mean, you, you've md would yourself, so when you get there, you're ready to tell the person who's put 12 years of education into, the, <laughs> into this, you've got it figured out by two minutes on WebMD, right? You know what I mean? So, so we walk in, and we've got ourselves self-diagnosed, so I think it's kind of tough to be uh, a doctor. Uh, last year, at, uh, in, uh, the, in the winter, I, I found myself in a board meeting, and one of the guys looked over, and he said, Kyle, your, your hands are are blue. Man, your, your hands are blue. Like, look at your hands. And I look down, and I think they've got an image. Do you have the image of my hands there? And so I look down, and my hands were straight up blue. Like, that's like Smurfville. And so I go home that night, and Taryn's uh, in bed sleeping, and uh, or not sleeping yet, but she's like right on the verge there. And I'm doing what, you know, we do in 2018, 2019. I turn, and I'm web-emptying myself. Like, what's wrong. And I'm saying, babe, my hands are blue. They noticed this. Uh, I'm reading up on it. She's like, whatever it is, don't tell me. If you're dying, just tell me tomorrow. And so, like, (laughs) that is real love, y'all. That is real marriage. How many of y'all got a real marriage? Like, just tell me tomorrow. I don't want to hear it tonight. I want to sleep. And so, I kind of, and I actually noticed early in the week, there was some bluish stuff to my, and like, the first thing I read is like, you may be dead. Consult a doctor. (laughs) like, (laughs) That's a symptom of death, you know, that you turned blue. And so uh, anyway, I, I kind of read through and, and I ended up sleeping fine. I texted Dr. Joe maybe a day or two later. And he, he got back with me and he told me, I think you're, you're not dead. You're, you're still alive. And he kind of gave me a little diagnosis that I, I probably can't pronounce or tell you what it really was. But uh, he, he said, you're going to be okay. You're, you're going to live. But we live in this culture that we, we self-diagnose all the time. Yeah, yeah, I think in our culture... There's a lot that we are unaware of that we've become infected with already. In an increasingly secular society, I think we've actually, secular and religious alike, have become more religious. And the life and what Jesus calls us into, what we call Christianity as as a religion, it, it doesn't fit into the paradigm of that. Jesus called us to a simplicity of faith that's like that of children not an adherence to a large list of rules that we upkeep to come to God. And so this series, Religiously Transmitted Diseases, that we are starting today is not to point to religion and say it's diseased. You know, that all religion is a disease and it's the opiate of the masses, nothing to the like. It's a compassionate call to sons and daughters, to the church, to say, hey, Hey, there's some things about our faith that have been infected, that have been transmitted, and you didn't even know it. And so, whether you grew up in a religious environment or not, or whether you come from a completely secular mindset, and like this whole God thing is very new for you, I think just as many people in the secular world are infected with religious diseases. They just don't know it. They just don't recognize it. So, I want to turn our attention today. And it's it's kind of funny to me that uh, many have been getting excited about this series. It's a catchy title. Um, but that's just because they didn't know what I was going to preach on today. Because <laughs> I want to talk about hypocrisy. I want to talk about hypocrisy. And, and that starts here. It starts with us looking inward. And so I want to go to uh, Matthew chapter 23. Because Jesus gets angry about some hypocrisy in some religious leaders. Because th- isn't that what's, um, what ang- what religious uh, leaders, relig- uh, Um, excuse me hypocrisy does is it makes us angry it it makes us angry think about it maybe a a pastor in your life who taught on financial stewardship only to find out he mismanaged funds a a politician in your life who stood on a pro-life campaign and you got behind only to find out that some of those lives didn't matter or, or, or maybe a parent in your life who taught you love and commitment and for-life marriage only to find out that mom would leave for another man with a, a fatter wallet and, and dad would leave for a woman with a, a thinner waist. And, and we've seen this hypocrisy and it makes us angry. And before it makes us angry, I, I think it should make us sad and and grieve. And so I want to talk about this today um, in a loving way, um, but Jesus doesn't talk about this in a loving way. He talks about this very hardcore. And so I want to begin by reading verses 1 through 5 in chapter 23, and then I'll skip down to verse 23. Talk about hypocrisy. then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. I want you to remember that phrase. Uh, Woe to you, teachers of the law. Actually, let's skip down to verse 23. Yep, Uh, 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and the dish. Um, Actually, I I, I skipped down to 25, sorry. Verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, Faithfulness. Uh, You should have you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. And woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but the inside, they're full of dead men's bones and everything unclean and in the same way. On the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you're the descendants of those who murder the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. You snakes, I love that, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell. So for any parent in the room who your kid is name-calling and you want to say, what would Jesus do? This is not a good example for you because Jesus is name-calling. You bunch of hypocrites, you beautiful vipers! You snakes, you liars, you blind guys. Jesus is going off. And he drops this, these phrases seven times, a woe to you, woe to you. It's a statement of grief and to call them out. Don't you get frustrated by things and you wish somebody would call somebody out on their stuff. But the reality is we don't want to be called out on our stuff. We just want everybody else to be called out on their stuff. And so there's these seven times that Jesus says, woe to you. And seven times Jesus calls them blind. Seven times Jesus calls them hypocrites. If we had to take a poll of our nation, say, what's the one thing that that gets you most mad about the church? Religious and non-religious, secular and sacred, believers, non-believers, I think the, the, the number one answer would probably be a bunch of hypocrites. I mean, isn't that what you've heard? Isn't that what you've said when you walked away from the church? Just a bunch of hypocrites. The, the, the word that, uh, Greek word that Jesus uses here uh, uh, for hypocrites actually speaks something much deeper, not just those who don't practice what they preach, but, but those who are like stage actors, who, who know how to come and put on the show, but when they get off the stage, they revert to their true self. That, that's, that's what this word meant in that time, which in a Greek culture, they got stage actors. So Jesus is saying like, you're just like one of Shakespeare's guys, you know, so to speak here, run with me, who get dressed up in front of people and clean yourself up, but then you step off of your performing, of your duties where everybody can see. And then you're rotten on the inside. You're rotten. And it's a, it's a heavy rebuke, Of religious leaders and it goes to all of us this is not just he's not saying this just to them he's saying this about him so it's a woe to all of us to guard ourselves and I think among the religiously transmitted diseases there are preventable diseases and there are unpreventable diseases religiously and I believe hypocrisy is an unpreventable religiously transmitted disease I think we can't avoid it. I think every single one of us have found ourselves in hypocrisy at some point, if we're really honest. And we will again at some point, in which we will save face and put on the show, but then we revert to our old self when we get in the car and we drive away. we found, so it's unpreventable. So it's not a question of if you do this, it's in which ways do you do this? And am I willing to be honest before God and let him correct this in me and teach me a better way that become, where my faith becomes congruent off the stage and on the stage, in front of people and when nobody's watching, when the pastors are around and, and, and it's just my coworkers. A congruency, an honesty to our lifestyle that is so deep that we are purified in every environment, not just playing the game, and not just acting for the show. And so this is a call for us to dig deeper. And I want to do this by looking at just, again, 23 through 33. And I think there's, there's three themes that Jesus touches on. And I'm going to break a sermon rule that I was taught in preaching classes: Don't do this, which is don't use don't. <laughs> you know, don't use a negative to explain something that you're trying to get positive. But Jesus was so heavy, heavy here. I'm just going to run with it, and, and a call to not neglect, to not neglect to take care of of ourselves and to take care of what matters most. And I think that's this first thought, verses 23 and 24. That Jesus, he's calling out the Pharisees because they like they honor God in the tithe, yet they neglect matters of faithfulness and justice and mercy. I, I do this too, though. I do this as a dad. We've got three little ones, eight, five, and two. And my personality type is one who can really get uh, jittery. Uh, with a cluttery environment. Like environmental factors affect me greatly. If you know me, if you've been around me, uh, and we were joking about it just this weekend that Taryn says she can about put it on her watch. Every couple of weeks, the papers stack up and daddy can't handle it anymore. And I start going crazy and I gotta, I gotta deal with it. And, and it's in those moments I start getting onto my kids. Like, kids, I'm, I'm sick of cleaning up your stuff everywhere and put your toys away. And I wish I'd mumbling under my breath. I wish you would throw these papers away so they're not so cluttered on the table. Am, am I the only one that does that? Okay, there's a few of you, a few of you. Um, and it's in those moments that I end up neglecting what matters most. I end up neglecting the fact that I need to teach my kids to be slow to be angry. And I need to, to, to be a servant in my household, a lead servant in my household, and, and not complain about the, the service to my family. Um, and, and I neglect these moments in which I can show grace and mercy and love and be an example of uh, of what it means to be you know responsible and it's not that i neglect teaching my kids responsibility or the importance of cleaning up after yourself i'm not neglecting that by choosing what's most important and i think if we begin to think in our own lives there's many times in which we we don't forget what's most important we just neglect it we just neglect it in our schedule we neglect it in our relationships and it's not because we want to. It's not because we actually believe that, but we just find ourselves caught up in this reality in which we've neglected more important matters of the law. The, the details matter. Obedience and the details matter. I, I'm reminded of First Samuel uh, chapter 15, which we're doing a study on with some men uh, right now. And and one time, uh, God calls uh, Saul to go and to conquer and, and to take out the Amalekites, and, and in this journey, he, he goes, and they take them almost all out, but he doesn't take them all out. He doesn't deal with he, he decides to keep some of it for himself. He, he chooses to neglect being fully obedient to everything that God had called him to do. And so later, he thinks he's, he's done it all, and he's so proud of as the Pharisees were doing the tithe, you know, like doing that. But he's neglected full obedience to more important matters, which is full obedience. And uh, he comes and, and at this time, God just says, look, I'm, I'm, I'm done. And I, I've chosen another leader. He said, I'm looking for a man that's after my own heart. And Samuel has to step in and, and fulfill the obedience in, in the details of that. And so I, I don't know where you're at in your life and maybe what things more important things you're neglecting. I, I don't know if, if there's any husbands in the room who, like, we're, we're, we're taking care of the bills and making sure the bills are paid on time, but we haven't taken our wife out on a date in six months. You know, like, any uh, uh, mothers in the room who, you making sure your kids are physically fed, but you haven't emotionally or spiritually fed them ever. Maybe it's owning the personal level. Everything's getting checked off your to-do list. Like you're being a good employee, yet in the more important matters of faithfulness to God and mercy and justice and walking in that true relationship and honest relationship of self, it's been neglected. It's it's neglected in our schedule. It's neglected in our speech and our prayer life. And it's neglected in our budget. And so we've got to get to this place and it's not a matter of if we've been a hypocrite in this way. It's just a matter of am I willing to realize it in which ways I have been because we, we all have. It's unavoidable. Paul said it. The things I want to do, I don't do. And the, and the things I don't do, I, I wish I would do. You know, We find ourselves in this, this brokenness and what's funny about hypocrisy is many of us, want, this is not funny, many of us have been hurt by it and as we've walked away those that have hurt heard heard us and transmitted some things to us, maybe judgment, you know, maybe that's one. They, they transmitted judgment to us and we, we walked away in anger because it hurt us and, and what we didn't realize is something was transmitted in that time where someone else got focused on the wrong thing. They, they neglected more important matters and then all of a sudden it got me focused on less important matters as I turn my finger back, and be like, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites with your anger and you don't judge. And then we find ourselves in the same place that they were. Isn't that the world we live in right now, the climate we live in? And it's sad. But here, here's, the, here's the good news. For every religiously transmitted disease, there is a relationally transmitted cure. And his name is Jesus. He brought us into relationship that we might know a new way to live, that's not as stage actors, but it's honest, and it's real, and it's, and it's not from outside in, like many of us maybe feel in a church environment, I got to get all this stuff together to come to Jesus, no, no, it's not how Jesus does it, did you read, first clean the inside of the cup, and then the outside will also be clean, we'll come back to this relationally transmitted cure, but, but Jesus goes on, and, and he says, don't neglect cleaning the inside of the cup. First, don't neglect cleaning the inside of the cup. Uh, there's this, this old story that uh, Taryn's uh, parents uh, remember. Tell me, I think it was a true story. Um, I, I didn't confirm this actually before today. I think it was a, a real story that this actually happened. There was this, uh, this pastor who uh, every day, they, they lived right next to the church and, and all the time there would be this, this person who just shows up at their house like for dinner. Like, all the time, like every day, unannounced, and, and mi casa, su casa, y'all come over whenever you want, just give us a heads up, so we can uh, make sure there's food on the table, you know, but uh, but this uh this pastor's wife really got smart after a while, and she, she got tired of it, like after the first like four nights, she was like, it was nice, it was good to see him and hang out, but after that, she's like, hey, a little knock, so I can prepare the food and all that, so what they began doing is just each night, they'd come, and they'd let um, at the end of the meal, they grab all the plates, and, and they just started making sure that this guy saw it, letting the dog clean the plates with his tongue, and after that, did not put it in the dishwasher, just put it right back in the panther, you know, <laughs> and that, he eventually got the picture, like, I don't want to, I don't want to eat here a- anymore, um, because what, the way they were cleaning um, was not something he wanted to be a part of, and, and the reality is that our world is in a place in which the way we're cleaning, they don't want to be a part of it. Get your stuff together. And I think the reality is that Jesus gives us a better way that is effective. Uh, the way of get your stuff together and, and then you'll be pure on the inside is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is to do exactly what he's saying here. Which is to clean the cup first, and what magically happens—I'm using the word magically loosely—what magically happens is that the outside will also be clean. Not you'll make it clean; it just happens. It just happens. You clean the outside and the inside, and you know what's funny? I actually do this with with my bowls. You know, like when I I I clean, clean a cereal bowl, like I'll go and I'll make sure the inside's clean and the outside, it's a lot less important and like it'll get rinsed kind of while I'm doing that, but I don't really go around and scrub the outside most of the time unless it's a pot, it's boiled over. But it, it just becomes, it just kind of comes clean and, and it's, it's less important. The most important is what's on the inside. But I wonder if, if we find ourselves in a similar place in which time-wise, we spend a lot of time on the outside. When I was a kid, when I was in, in middle school, I got this award um, and I think I've shared this before that I won this like superlative in middle school for always primping. You guys familiar with what the word primping is? Because when I got this award, I had no idea what that meant. I'm like, awesome. Like, I don't know what that means. It means like you're always fixated on your hair and your looks, right? That, that's, that's where I was. And for a long time, I was very fixated on, on how I looked, very fixated on my hair. Lee's like, your hair looks good, man. Thanks. He's giving me, giving me a little, <laughs> little heads up. Appreciate it, brother. Um, I worked on it this morning. And, and we do that. Like, you, you don't leave the house without making sure, like, your clothes are pressed or making sure you've, you've got a shirt on and making sure that you've, you know, ladies, if you do the makeup thing, you put some makeup on. But how many times have we left the house without just slowing down? Man, God, I want to clean the inside of the cup today. And, and I think there's this lack of congruence with our life because of it. Because we rush right on past of what matters most and we neglect it. We, we neglect the inside. We neglect cleaning the inside. So, so what, does that, what does that look like to clean the, the inside? I, I think it's, a, it's slowing ourselves down for introspection before the Lord. Some would call this like Christian meditation. And, and here's the difference. When we talk about meditation, there's Eastern meditation and there's Christian meditation. Eastern meditation is an emptying yourself of everything, like in the mind, like, it, like some yoga practices and some things like that. Eastern meditation is about clearing the mind of everything. In Christian meditation, we, we fill our mind with God's truth. And so that, that's the difference. And so it, we need to slow down for some introspection, slow down for some meditation and fill ourselves with God's truth. Because we'll go out there and we will just go right into our religiously transmitted disease. We will. We'll go right out into cleaning the outside of the cup. And there's this lack of honesty. There's lack of, you know, uh, what we are who we are. And so um, you, you may find this statement to be weird but I, I find it to be uh, something in my life just as a pastor, like making friends is hard as a pastor. Uh, in fact, I think I've shared this before, that most of the time I try to hide the fact that I'm a pastor because as soon as you bring that up, people will bolt. Like it's, it's just scary. Or as soon as they find out you're a pastor, they want to talk about Third Day, as if I've ever owned a Third Day album and I know even what song they're talking about. But they, they just think like that's our common ground is, is that. Um, you know and i think this life that god's calling us to is is not one where we just try to like put on the show I, I find it, I find quite flattered and I feel like the person I'm in, not this flattered isn't the right word, but I feel like the, a person in front of me uh, who, who uses a ton of foul language in their daily life and, and when I'm around and, and, and they don't know it or, or, or they do know it and they, they just don't care uh, and just use a ton of uh, foul language in front of me, I actually think that person's um, closer to the breakthroughs the baby they need in their life than the person who's putting up the guys. Like I'm someone different. I, I think the person who's being honest Is way closer to experience what God has in the person who's living a lie, Mm -hmm. Um, and so I I actually embrace those moments, and I'm like, "Yep, we're we're, we can move here because we don't have to tear down this wall, or being our honest and true self." And maybe you're there today. Maybe you've come in and you haven't told anybody what's going on in the marriage, at work, in your finances you haven't told anybody. And today as we come and we worship and we respond to this truth of God's word, not to anything I'm saying, but to God's word, I believe we first, we just need to come honest. And that's the place where God's going to do something inside of us. God, help me, help me. I believe, but help my own belief. God, I, I want to walk in this, but I'm neglecting the more important matters. And I, and I think the uh, the final thing here that Jesus goes into, and, and if you begin to read verses 29 through uh, 31, Jesus is, is going off on them because they're kind of looking at their, you know, ancestors like, we wouldn't have done that. We would have never acted like that. And Jesus is, is really calling them out. And so I, I would just tell us today, we, we, we need to not neglect. We need to, don't neglect the fostering of humility in your life. Because it's pride that creates blindness. It, it, it's pride that does that. I was texting um, with, with a guy who was part of our church, and he's recently uh, said yes to Jesus and, and following him, which I, I'm just so excited about, because he was here um, for a long time and going through the motions, going through the motions. And he walked away. He's like, look, man, I'm agnostic. I've just been hanging out. I, I don't really know what all this is about, but I've just been hanging out. And I was like, man, I appreciate your honesty. And I was texting with him. He listened to a recent message I, I shared. And I was talking about humility. And he said, you know what, Pastor? It was, it was pride. Every Sunday, every week, all these years that kept me from saying yes to following Jesus, from the transformation that I wanted to see, from the congruency of honesty. It was, it was pride. And the reality with this hypocrisy thing is we're blind. We're blind to it, and we need God to reveal it in us. And as David prayed, God, would you search me all over again? Would you search me and know me now? Would you see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting? And maybe in this room, I I think the fostering of of humility, which I, I love Romans 12, 3, that calls us to look on ourselves with a sober judgment. And I think we often misunderstand humility. To look on ourselves with sober judgment. And this idea of sober judgment is to see yourself with a clear picture. I think when we see, we look at ourselves humbly, we think of, oh, I need to think of myself less or or think lower of myself. Uh, But really, it's a clear picture. And so if you've come in here today insecure, God wants to not give you uh, just a slice of humble pie. He wants to give you a slice of confidence cake, right? Let's just go with confidence cake, you know? And if you come in here prideful today, God wants, you're going to be served at some point. You can either choose to go to the fridge and get it, or at some point it's going to be served to you in this life. You can choose the hard way, you can choose the easy way. That's the way I talk to my kids, hard way or easy way. It's going to get served up. Um, And so the the call for us is to to have sober judgment, to have clear judgment, not a low view of self, not a high view of self, but the self that God calls us when he looks at us. That's a clear view. I am who he says I am. One of my favorite verses that was so transformative in my walk was, um, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives through me. Is the only way that we are able to walk with a congruent life, with an honest life, is if Christ is living in and through us. That is how the inside, or the inside from the clean on the inside becomes clean on the outside, is in that daily relationship in which it's refined uh, in, our, in our life. Uh, there's this show that we watched years ago. It was like, you know one of the shows that they only do it in the summer? You ever see those, like, it's like the series, it goes this summer, and then you have to wait like a whole year for it to come back on. I was like, ah, I just want to watch the whole thing. Where's Netflix at that time? But uh, there was a show called The Last Ship. Anybody ever see It was a TNT show? Yeah, 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 there's a couple people. So um, we really liked the, the Last Ship. For ladies out there who were like uh, fans of Grey's Anatomy, Mick Steamy was on there, like that guy. He was like the lead character. He was really, did really good in the show. And uh, anyway, um, that's neither here nor there. Definitely not. Um, there's your pop culture news for today. Um, but this show, Last Ship, the, kind of the theme is it's a Navy show, so being in a Navy town, I was interested in it, and basically it's an apocalyptic story. And everyone in the world is like dying of this red plague, this red disease, and everybody's dying all around, in Asia, and Africa, like people, people are dying, this red flu or whatever that's taken over, people are dying left and right and they, and they can't even tell the symptoms, but then it comes on, it comes quick, and it takes them down, it kills them. Except for there was this one ship, the, they called it the last ship, who was out to find the cure, and they, they finally found the cure, and it's this tale of other people trying to come and take and snatch the cure away from their life, and their pursuit to stay alive and to get this cure to people who, who desperately need it. Um, and it just reminded me of the church today. You know, there's a lot of of diseased and dying churches, but but I believe there's a remnant. There's a remnant of life-giving churches that aren't about religion, they're about relationship, and it flows from the inside out, and God is doing a work. And, And maybe you've come here today, and you've been hurt by the lack of congruence and honesty you've seen in the church or in the world today, and you just find yourself angry about it. You find yourself broken about it. Kind of left to pick up the pieces. But I want you to know there is a relationally transmitted cure. His name is Jesus. And so, whatever we've been through, whatever you've gone through, there, there's a cure. His name is Jesus. You haven't been forgotten about. The, the, the ship is here, the ship is coming. His name is Jesus. And there's the, the, the body of Christ. We too, once we've received that, we need to, to not repay evil for evil. We need to bless our enemies. And not curse. Jesus taught us a new way. And it's a new way that's so countercultural to the staged life we have made for ourselves as actors. But my prayer for, for my own life is that I would walk honestly before God and man. Imperfect as I may be to walk honestly. And it's hard in those moments to just put on a smile when it's not, it's not how you're feeling. It's hard in those moments when, to, when we have to choose vulnerability or lie. Honesty or deception. And, and I would encourage you in your private life, begin here, okay? And let it work from the inside out. Let it work from the inside out. Develop some disciplines of introspection where you slow down in Christian meditation. Now, where I just empty my mind of the negative, but I fill it with God's truth fill it with life because it's not by your own strength that we can do it. It's just going to happen as we pursue him. And hypocrisy makes us angry. But when we see it in our own life, it just makes us sad. And it just hurts. And so over this past week, I've become, as I've prepared for this message, I've become acutely aware of my hypocrisy from day to day little moments and we're like not practicing when I preach and I pray as we go forward this week I think God's just gonna quicken your spirit and it's like oh how, how, and just relax just relax that moment and then go back and it's gonna happen in the quiet place it's gonna happen in the quiet place transformation that we're longing for it's gonna happen getting back to the simplicity of our faith and the purity of our heart that says God would you clean a, create a clean heart in me would you do that And so I wanna ask you to stand today. I wanna pray over you and this band's gonna lead us in a song. And this this time in our service is, at times we do different things. We'll call you to the front or call you to the crosses. And and I wanna tell you these crosses are open. If you just need to come and confess to somebody and say, hey, I've been been double life in it. I need somebody to pray with me because I wanna live honestly before God. These, These crosses are open for that. There was a guy named Rich Mullins a long time ago. He's passed away and he wrote, our God isn't awesome. Got that guy. Um, And he would always talk that when people would call the church a bunch of hypocrites, he would just say, yeah, yeah, it is. It is a bunch of hypocrites. Those that come and confess and say we're not good enough though. And that Jesus is the only one that could create a right spirit in us. And so that's my heart for you today. So would you respond to what God's speaking in your life? Maybe in prayer, maybe in worship and prayer, right where you're at. And let's bow our heads and pray. God, I thank you for this, this holiest of moments, God, in which we uh, have to pray and worship and to put ourselves right before you, God, and just say, uh, would you help us? Would you help us live a life that's honest before you and before man, God? Would you help us, God, to, to focus on what matters most while I'm not neglecting the former? God, would you help us in this? We, we're incapable of this on our own, God. We, would you reveal in us those ways, God, in which we are, we're just as hypocritical as the Pharisees. We're just as hypocritical as those that walked uh, and pointed their finger at us as they hurt us, God. Those things have been transmitted. Would you restore a right relationship with us, God? For the person who is far from God, I pray that we can confess our need for a savior and healing is here today. God, we trust you for this.